think I'm gonna hate You try to address the failing standards in the school So Fred and George played some quality jokes on you With all those stupid educational degrees Make me want to say completely so we're gonna go without her okay trisha we lost trisha we don't know why she's just gone is she having thunderstorms i don't know there's tornadoes up in minnesota that's all i know we have severe thunderstorms approaching us i have no notes whatsoever i was going to spend most of today doing that but i had a friend come over instead well that's cool and he just left at 10 after 7 so I haven't got any notes either because I spent 21 hours on the road yesterday. On the road again. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. Well, I think I'm supposed to state I love somebody, but I don't remember who it was. Phil, Charlie, Fred, George. You told me to say it and then we could have it in the title, but now I don't remember who it was. Oh, hmm. and I don't have that chat open anymore. No, because it was vocal. Oh. Oh, all right. Well, when we go through it, you'll figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't remember who it was. It wasn't Bill or Charlie or Fred or George. It was someone else. Uh, Shackle, Shacklebolt. Shacklebolt. Yes. <laughs> Shacklebolt. Oh, yes, I, I love that. Kingsley. <laughs> well, you just missed it. Andy's got a new poll up on who gave Harry the talk. And one of the, the options talk. is oh, Shacklebolt, because <laughs> he has style. I've discovered that I've had probably the most Pafoinian semester ever. Yes. Like, there have been ditches, and I figured, hey, when the school semester ends, maybe it'll end, and I, I will stop having to deal with cockroaches and crazy stuff like that. Apparently not so much. Uh, um, see what happens when you start podcasting? 
Yeah. So I I am a short person. I am not as short as PS, but I am a fairly short person. But I am also not a stick. So like it's hard to find pants that fit me because most are too long. Even the short ones are long on me. So I had this one brand that barely fit me. And that's what they make sewing machines for. I can't sew. I'm not domestic at all. I'm I'm sorry. I'm just not that kind of person. No. Because, you, know, you know they make this stuff that's called stitch witchery. You you I know I can't hand, iron. You stick it in between and then you iron it and it stays. The other thing that you can do is figure out how short you want them and take them to the dry cleaner. Most dry cleaners will sew them for you. Yes, yes. Okay, so anyway, I have this one brand and size and everything that fits perfectly. It makes me very happy. So I ordered it online every time I need new pants. So I'm like I need new pants because, you know, mine are starting to go because I wear my jeans every single day. So I ordered it online. It comes on Saturday. I'm really, really excited because I love getting new jeans. And they don't fit. And I was like, this is very strange. I haven't gained any weight. And I held them up to my old pants. And they cut two whole inches off of the design. Wow. It's really, really hard for me to find pants. I'm really, really upset at this point. And I couldn't do anything Saturday or Sunday because I had, you know, stuff to do. But I get up at the freaking crack of the morning. Like, I got up at 6 a.m. to go out to the freaking store, which is 20 minutes away by car. And I'm not a morning person. I don't function in the morning. So the fact that I'm up at 8 a.m. driving to this place is, like, a miracle. <laughs> I arrive right at 8 o'clock, I open them up, I go to the freaking customer service counter, and, like, the guy doesn't speak, like, clearly his first language is not English, so, like, I'm trying to explain to him, I'm trying to exchange these pants for these, and I had gotten, like, the petites that aren't nearly as cute, but, you know, they fit, so whatever. He was like, well, I can give you store credit, and I'm like, fine, whatever, just get me out the freaking door, because I'm tired, and I want to go back to bed, but I won't be able to, because I have to go do things. And then I drive home. I nearly crashed the car. Um, yeah. Sounds like a great morning. <laughs> uh, I am not a morning person. <laughs> I can tell. I'm glad that you got your pants. Yes, I have pants. Pants are useful. They are. Pants are good. For Friday, February 18th, 2011. This is episode 120 of Potterwick Weekly. Welcome to the place where the one-shot never ends. In this episode, we feature typically Puffwanian on-topic discussion. Not only entertaining, but educational as well. <laughs> I can touch my toes to the faucet. I can turn on the sink with my feet. It's like the Manhattan Project. Don't take offense to this, guys. You guys are the most dysfunctional people. <laughs> no, they're not! <laughs> we'll always laugh before the end. Potterfic Weekly, where the story lands. Welcome to Potterfic Weekly. I'm Sue. I'm Scott. I'm Kelly. And I'm Kat. Today, we're going to be talking about The Worthy King by The Star Horse. The Worthy King is a sequel to Fox Ears, which we covered last week. And we're going to just jump right into it because there's no introduction that I see. So... We start off with Bill and Charlie and the twins camping out 
out in the orchard of the burrow because for some reason they can't bring themselves to go into the house at night. They're perfectly fine with staying with everyone during the day, but at night the three, Charlie and the twins, have been going out to stay in the tent. And this is the first night that Bill's been able to kind of wheedle his way into this trio. And he doesn't quite know what's going on, why they keep doing it and stuff, but he's very content that he's made it in there. He does not know yet of the Short Weasley Club, and I don't think he quite fits. (laughs) (laughs) Not exactly. He's probably the tallest one there. Yeah, that's what I figured. Yes, this one's from Bill's point of view, as opposed to Charlie, who was last week's one. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's made it in. He had to swear not to tell anybody what was said, what was going on, anything he saw, and not to hog the snacks. Right. And he swore over a puking pastel, which was sanctified through a ceremony involving Dr. Pepper, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) That substituted his holy water. (laughs) I'm kind of scared. Yeah. I can just see the twins completely, like, straight face, like, taking it completely seriously, and Bill and Charlie going, are they serious or are they joking? Well, I could see the Dr. Pepper reacting with the puking pastille and causing some (laughs) sort of, I don't know what, explosion or something. Like a Diet Coke and Mentos thing? Yeah. Yeah, there you go. So, they've been eating s'mores. Which sounds like fun mm-hmm. because they're levitating them in, it looks like, instead of using sticks like we would use. That's kind of a fun visual. Yes, they're getting after Fred because he's about to char them all, apparently. Yes. He says, ah, that's what you tell me all the time when we experiment. And he said, well, yeah, last time we experimented, I think my eyebrows ended up on fire. Oh, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. If anyone cares to notice, my eyebrows have completely grown back. <laughs> Yeah, they're working on that, and they're trying to talk Bill into trying it out, but they haven't perfected it yet because they can't figure out how to keep your own hair from really catching on fire. Right, I think would be yes, a problem. Yes, this is a suite that when you suck it, you have flames where your hair would be, and when you spit it out, it's supposed right. to just vanish and your hair's fine, but it isn't quite working out. <laughs> There's that but. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of a problem here. So, yeah, mm-hmm. they decide that they want to have the amazing flaming bill. And Bill is like, no, 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 no flaming bills. This is not going to be okay. Fortunately, yeah, yeah. flaming bill Charlie's is down. Yeah, totally so. Because they start. Yeah. Yeah, I like their little phrasing about that. Let's see. Bill wasn't one to have his courage called into question, but he wasn't about to voluntarily light himself on fire either, for Christ's sake. So. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But Charlie steps in and puts out the fire. (laughs) And they start talking and, well, they decide that they're going to do it to Percy and see if they can get his glasses to catch on fire, too. (laughs) And Bill's sort of wondering through all of this what the whole secrecy thing was all about because all they've basically talked about is whether they should introduce s'mores into the Weezes line and whether they're setting his hair on fire and all that sort of yeah. thing and nothing that seems like it ought to be a state secret or whatever. So. Yeah. 
they're not really being serious about anything, which I guess is kind of in character for Fred and George, just because, you know, you don't want to think about the really bad stuff. You want to laugh and have a fun time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's true. But now they've gone to bed, and the other three are sleeping, and he's found himself kind of awake and thinking about Fleur, and, you know, I could be home in the burrow and bed with my wife and not out here on the ground, and what was I thinking? And he hears something. And he doesn't quite know what. And then all of a sudden he figures out that there's someone outside and that they're starting to come in the tent flap. And he tries to wake up Charlie, but he's just a little bit too late. And there's sort of a silent battle with ropes being flung about. And, you know, they're surrounded. They can't get away. And he's tied up and lots of fighting and smacking going on. You can hear different things, a struggle. Everybody's fighting. And the next thing he knows, he's gagged. And somebody's looking in his face. And he's like, nope, this one's the werewolf. We don't want him. And the person looking in his face is also a werewolf. And I cannot believe that they let him be an or Grayback, right? Mm. I'm remembering this. Well, you know, this is called anybody they can hire. Yeah. Who's not a death eater. And because the werewolves were never allowed to be death eaters, that's how she could slip that through that crack. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because she doesn't have the mark, so he can get away with it. Right. At this Mm -hmm. point, I thought it was death eaters and not ours. I didn't catch up on the R badge until later. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it all goes fairly quickly, and you don't know exactly why they're being attacked. But apparently they're looking for somebody specific because they leave Bill, Mm -hmm. and they take Charlie instead. Right, and then they leave Fred because he has two ears, and they take George. And they take the two of them away, and they leave a note for the other two just before they apparate out, but they can't get to the note because they're still tied up, they have no wands and stuff like that. But it turns out that once they've apparated out, the bonds that are holding them start to loosen because the spell, this is going on the premise that if you're not there to keep the spell up, the spell kind of dissipates after a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. And Fred goes nuts. Yeah. (laughs) This is kind of interesting. Last spec we saw George's reaction when he didn't have Fred. Now we get Fred's reaction when he doesn't have George. Mm -hmm. And they're pretty similar. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Fred's a little more immediately volatile than George was, apparently. Mm-hmm. But it's not quite yeah, well, the same thing George either because was, he had. George was catatonic to begin with, so. Yeah, Fred was dead and not, like, taken. And Bill gets a hold of the back of Fred's shirt or the scruff of Fred's shirt and kind of shakes him and says, We need to read this, indicating the note. And Fred's like, what? Let go of me! And he's like, no, we need to read this. And they kind of scrabble over to where the wands are after Fred bashes Bill in the stomach with his elbow, a few things like that. But they have a letter that basically says, by order of the senior undersecretary to the Ministry of Magic. uh, (coughs) Yeah, that was exactly how I felt. Mr. Charles Gawain Weasley and Mr. George Fabian Weasley are to be placed under arrest and hereby ordered to attend without delay a hearing to determine the details of their pre-trial incarceration in Azkaban. Charges include, but are not limited to, the following theft of a ministry-owned time-turner, illegal use of a time-turner, tampering with a legally established and defined timeline. Subjects are to report without delay to their pre-trial hearing, signed with respect, bullcrap, oh, sorry, Dolores Jane, <laughs> Senior Undersecretary to the Ministry of Magic. 
you like all of our little... Uh, She's off to her five. old tricks again, or rather Fudge's old tricks only five times as bad. <laughs> rather than shifting the time of the trial six hours earlier, she's like, the trial is now. Show up. <laughs> yeah, and, she doesn't yeah. even give them a chance to try it or not. They're snuck up on, well, attacked, it's four o'clock in the morning. beaten up, and dragged away, and just... Yeah, and it's four o'clock up. in the morning. Right. Yeah. And they just got over a war. This is a normal time to have a trial, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I spent right. a good portion of this story muttering bad names underneath my breath at her. Hey, um, are you going to be doing things around here? The Umbridge way! She almost made the list over Weasel Boy. Did someone say Draco Malfoy? Which is Draco. pretty hard to do. Yes, I do not like that, that person mm-hmm. much. Basically, Fred gets his wand away from Bill after a little bit of wrestling and running out of the tent and running back into Bill and stuff like that and disappears. Bill sends a Patronus to his family and goes after him. And then we pretty much meet up in the Ministry of Magic with the two of them frantically looking for their brothers. Mm -hmm. I like that uh, Patronus is a wolf. Well, of course it's a wolf. It would have to be, wouldn't it? I wonder if Remus's Patronus is a wolf. It's true. I do wonder if it changed. Yeah, but Remus' Patronus is Noel's. Okay. Yeah, it would be interesting to know if it changed. I don't know if we know what Remus's Patronus is in canon. Well, Remus's was a wolf to begin with. Was it? Right? I don't know. I'm not sure. I can't remember seeing it anywhere. I know Tonks's Patronus was a werewolf, but I've read way too many versions of what Remus's is to keep him straight. I can't remember when we right. might have seen it in canon. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's canon established. So we don't really know. Well, somebody else talk about what happens for a minute, and I'll go look up <laughs> Remus. All right, Fred's reading the note, and he's commentating, and they are clearly not happy. <laughs> no. He's also muttering at the rest of them. Well, yeah. But they sort of run into each other, and they think maybe they hear something, so maybe that's where it is. Yeah. And then they get to the trial, and Dolores Umbridge is presiding, and she notes that they're late at four in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And she simpers while she does it. I don't know if we quite managed to cover that Bill left the rest of them note before he left, so that's why Molly and Arthur managed to show up as well. That's who they run into first, and then they find the trial. Right. So, we do not know what Remus's Patronus was. Its shape was indistinct. Oh, so it could be anything. Wow, there's a lot of information about him. (laughs) He's a popular guy. (laughs) Sue has just discovered Wiki. No, I went to the lexicon. Yeah, so they're hurrying down the halls in the ministry, and they hear a noise, and they think it's them, and it turns out to be their parents because of the Patronus. Isn't that how it worked, that Bill sent the Patronus, and so Molly and Arthur met him there? And they finally hear them. I love Arthur, because it's like Kat said, Umbridge is, you know, tutting a little late. We were informed, were we not, of our family member's arrest. And Arthur said, informed? You mean ambushed in the middle of the night, beaten, tied up, and left with a note that they couldn't possibly read in the dark? And she says, well, speakers for the defense got their chance in the beginning, and you weren't here, you were late, so I guess you don't get to speak. And Arthur's just beside himself. Yeah. And Bill can see that George has a bruise on his side. He can see it through his white t-shirt. So you know it's a really bad bruise. 
Charlie, for all of our squeeing people out there, is not quite in a towel, but is dressed in only light pajama bottoms because they weren't <laughs> given a chance to grab anything to put on, so they are in their night clothes. And of There's... course, being a summer night, they're not wearing a whole lot. Mm-hmm. George is in shorts and a tank top. And down where they are now in the bottom of the dungeons in the ministry, they're freezing. Yeah, yeah. sorry. Every time I hear this, I think, the pit of despair. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> where am I? The pit of despair. Don't even think about trying to escape. The chains are far too thick. Carry on. And Charlie's trying to sort of. You were funny, yes. Charlie's trying to comfort Molly a little bit and tell her it's okay, which it really isn't. And Umbridge is just continuing on because she's read the charges and going to convict everything. And they're remanded to Azkaban until the date of the actual trial because they have a prior criminal record, mm-hmm. which is being mean to her at Hogwarts, basically. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And Arthur That's said criminal? they were minors. You can't count them. And she says, oh, yes, I can. And he says, well, what about Charlie? There's nothing here on Charlie. And she's like, oh, he's been dealing in illegal dragons. <laughs> she's like, uh-huh. Charlie's how like, did she find out? Like, uh, there's no connection to him. No. And no one caught them. Oh, no, no. She's made it up. This is her, this is her prejudice. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because she doesn't yeah. deal with non-humans very well. And he deals with dragons. Mm-hmm. So this is her prejudice against him. And the fact that she's eyeballing him. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes. Oh. <clears throat> and dressing him with her eyes. And, yeah, the whole family's oh just shivering in their boots. Except for George. Just as well he wasn't in a towel. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Thank God he wasn't in a towel. Or I- I'm trying to think, why would he? Never mind. Hang on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why would he be sleeping and- in a towel? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I don't think he would. No, that, that really wouldn't work. We're just glad he was sleeping in something. Yes. yes. Or this would be an R-rated fanfic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that Bill realizes at the very beginning is that Umbridge is taking great pleasure in their pain. She's loving to see Molly all upset, and he's finally realizing why the rest of his family hates her guts. Because he's never had this experience with her, and it didn't take him long to figure out and to grow to hate her as much as everybody else does. Right. Yep. And Molly wants to know, because she said they could be in Azkaban until the trial date, Molly wants to know when the trial would be. And Umbridge says, oh, you know, legal system, things are very slow. It could be as much as a year. And Arthur is just... Arthur's mad, because he works for the Ministry. He knows how some of these things work. She's wrongful arrest. The hearing shouldn't be in the middle of the night. There's legal process that she should have followed. And she, of course, assures him she is following such process. Yes, because we find out that she is the head of the Wizengamot now, because... Well, people died and nobody else is around, so guess I get to be it. Mm-hmm. And she's yeah. going to run with this with every ounce that she can. She's going to wield it and she's going to make as many decisions as she can. And you know that none of them are going to be good because that's just the kind of person she is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Umbridge. I will have order. Yes. 
she really should have been in accounting or something and never gotten any actual power. Mm-hmm. I-, I bet she was in accounting until fudge. Yeah. Probably. But Cornelius doesn't know, won't hurt him. She probably would be good at things where you're all you're supposed to be doing is organizing everything and cataloging it by color or whatever, you know, without having any actual power over what happens. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's not the case with her. Unfortunately, she's got some power and she's let it go completely to her head. No. I know. It's hard to believe. Really, it is. But... <laughs> She's sending them out to Azkaban, and Molly speaks up and says, You can't mean to send them out dressed like this. And Umbridge is like, Well, of course, we have things to do. We don't have time. And Molly said, I can operate home and get them clothes. And what do you have to do at four o'clock in the morning? Right. Mrs. Weasley, don't be silly. There's positively no time. We have business to attend to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, of course, when Bill speaks up, she turns on him and says, I won't tolerate half-breeds in my court. Now, see, mm. that's another thing. It's like, excuse me, you cannot tell me that lycanthropy is like a disease. Mm-hmm. That is not being a half-breed. It's a disease. Right. That's like telling somebody that you're a half-breed if you have the chicken pox. <laughs> or cancer. <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, crazy. it's like, what? Really? <laughs> oh, my God. And he doesn't even have it. I mean, he has a trace of it, but it's not like he turns into a werewolf at the full moon. No. So he's not, yeah. Armbridge's prejudices aren't rational by any stretch. No. Really? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I look at this and, I mean, this is almost like the perils of Pauline. Really? I mean, it's just one thing after another, after another, after another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think you know. she's been somewhat more unhinged by her time in the forest or something, because this is worse than she's ever been. In the yeah, I book. I don't know, though, because if you took a look at her in the books, oh, in the books, she, not in the I movies, mean, but in the books. When she, she had was, them writing on their hands with that blood quill. She was mm-hmm. a mental case. I mean, vicious. she is the one who did, and she said so sent the Dementors mm-hmm. after Harry right. in Little Winging, right. you know, and then had the audacity in open Wizengamot to say, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. Oh, you can't be kidding me. There wouldn't be Dementors there. Of course not. Are you telling me that somebody sent Dementors to you? Yeah, you know. Yeah. And it's also kind of, as we get further on in here, it's really scary as to, she's got this bigotry against you know, the werewolves, but she's using them. Mm-hmm. And not only against the werewolves, but the Dementors mm-hmm. and where she puts them. It just was mind-boggling. <laughs> it's just like, I, oh I was God. surprised that Harry didn't use his, you know, I just won the war kind of status and say, get Umbridge at the door right now. You know, I don't think he had time. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's been over a week. I know, but I don't think he really knew. Yeah, I don't think anybody knew that Umbridge was in charge until this happened. Yes. And he's not there. It's just Molly and Arthur and Charlie and the boys. Right. Everybody else is still asleep back at the borough. They have no idea what's going on. Well, right. in, in canon, didn't the trio realize that Umbridge was the one in charge? No. Um, no. I don't know if they did or not, but at this point here... I don't think that Harry knew where Umbridge was mm-hmm. and what exactly uh, was going on. Right. I, I'm I'll extremely doubtful because even Arthur had to be told, I'm in charge of the Wizengamot. Mm-hmm. He didn't know. And he works at the ministry. Right. But Harry, um, 
they like witnessed trials and stuff and like saw I, I know church but the people that were still available aren't gonna be looking right now at the ministry they're looking at trying to put people's lives back together mm-hmm. outside of the government and yeah. then you get umbridge who is now a loose cannon i will you're not going to see this stuff going on during office hours because she doesn't want anybody to know what she's doing. Right. This is why this is at four o'clock in the morning. morning. Right on. She's working under the radar as much as she can. You bet. Yeah. You know, and she'll sure be all sweetness really and light at eight o'clock in the morning, but at four o'clock yeah. in the morning, it's on. Because you know, deep down, you deserve to be punished. So that's my take on it. <laughs> I'm not sure this really does follow canon. It's quite possible that something did happen since they knew that she was involved in shipping off the Half-Bloods or whatever else it was in the Ministry in Deathly Hallows. But we never really hear what happens to Umbridge. So this is just as much a possibility as anything else. Well, Mm -hmm. considering what follows this and why I'm in love with Checkable, you know, I think Sue's right. Everything's under the radar Mm -hmm. because what the Ministry ends up doing to her later and we haven't talked about this yet, is poetic. I mean... It's awesome. But we'll we'll get to it. Okay, I don't want to ruin it. But this was somebody who is a loose cannon who is taking advantage of the fact that the people who should be watchdogging her are not there. Mm-hmm. And not there as in they're home and sleep in their bed. I'm saying there isn't anybody right. because those people were either killed or in hiding or whatnot because of the Death Eaters. Right, and Shacklebolt's now in charge. He's the minister for magic, but he probably doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't. Not at four o'clock in the morning, he doesn't. No. And he doesn't, you know, he might have an idea of what kind of person she was under fudge and stuff like that, but he probably doesn't know everything that she's capable of, and so he doesn't know that he should be watching her until this incident happens. Right. And then at this point, his hands are basically tied, and we'll find that out in a few minutes, too, because of the way the ministry is run. Right. And the fact that the Wizengamot was just decimated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like having the dirty cops run the police department. Because all of the good cops are either out trying to catch up with the mobsters or they're dead. Right. So now who's running the show back home? That would be the bad cop. Mm-hmm. And that's what we've got here. Yeah. So. So they drag George and Charlie off and Bill's trying to get them to realize how badly hurt George is because he can see the bruise on him and he can see the look on his face and the look on his face is telling him also that George knows there's something internally wrong with him. Yeah. But no one's listening to him. And Fred is not ready to be separated from his twin and is going absolutely nuts. And Arthur has everything he can just to hold on to one boy. Right. So Mm -hmm. they take him away and that's it. And Fred does not take this well. No. (laughs) No. Really? (laughs) To put it lightly. No, 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 no. Talk about being cornered by a lion in a small oh, and room. The, the line, oh, I know what it was. Of course, you know, I'm just getting her digs in everywhere. And she uh, indicated that the reason the boys were having all this trouble is because their parents didn't raise them right. 
Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> Green mushroom cloud in the direction of Molly. <laughs> it's amazing Molly didn't just jump over the, with her, yeah, like, Bellatrix. You, you can just imagine the look on her face. Just like, you know, hey, she faced Bellatrix. I wouldn't. No, no thank you. <laughs> you need to see it now. Not my sons, you bitch! Mm -hmm. oh my so they take fred home and it takes you know the combined efforts of arthur and bill to drag him home and there they have a knockout drag out fight where bill actually you know bangs his head against the table or the wall or something and gives him a concussion eventually because he is so out of control he's not thinking straight at all and he's absolutely out of control and Arthur heads back to the ministry to try to sort things out. Well, first, I, this is my favorite line of this fact is, uh, Merlin's bloody sack, Fred. Do you not have a filter? Yes, Fred roared back, face flushed and contorted. I have George. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's like the twins' relationship is, you know, they filter each other. Well, yeah, look at George without Fred. I mean. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so. Continuing on, Arthur goes back to the ministry. Mm -hmm. And having got that out, they're sort of sitting there, just breathing heavily, and Bill's bleeding because Fred scratched him hard enough to draw blood. Didn't he bite him? And... <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> and finally, Hermione asks what happened, because obviously everyone's been awake now. Yeah. <laughs> you think? They've been woken up by the uh, ruckus. Yeah. Ruckus, that's a good word for it. And neither of the boys tell her, isn't it? Is it Molly that ends up telling them what's uh, happened? Yeah. Because the boys are just too out of it. So she fills them all in. And... Yeah, and then they say something about Umbridge <laughs> eyeballing mm -hmm. Charlie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, ooh! <laughs> and Fleur's like, well, you know, people look at me all the time. It's not awful. It is if you're Umbridge. Off. Yeah. I love Hermione. What a power-mongering hag. Who does she <laughs> think she is? Presiding over a court of law and, and treating Charlie like... Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's but. still disgusting. Yes, thank you, Jenny. Fortunately, there aren't any Dementors at Azkaban anymore, so that's at least something. But it's a prison wait, wait, and it's freezing. Wait, that's so. what they think. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I do like what Fred calls it, you know, who cares about the old bat eye-shagging Charlie? <laughs> That's a great way of words. Right there. Like the iPod, the iShag. And then my boyfriend is going to see how powerful I am. And then we'll probably get married. I don't think there's an app for that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I really don't. I would hope not anyway. <laughs> but yes, Fred wants to know. He doesn't. Well, he does care about Charlie, obviously, but they're all talking about Charlie, and he's going, come on, what about George? And they really don't know what to do. Bill tries to take him out of the room, and Fred won't go, and he just says, come on, please. So they go upstairs, and Bill sort of fixes some of Fred's cuts that uh, <laughs> he got when Bill slammed him into the table. 
And that's when he starts throwing up and we know that he has a concussion. And then Bill takes on a hairy role in that he starts going on about what a terrible brother he is and he should have done more. And I can't believe I hit my brother so hard he has a concussion. Poor me. I'm so horrible. Yeah. <laughs> he needs some chocolate cake. He does. I had chocolate cake today. It's fun. Yeah. yeah. There were two cakes made for my birthday on Friday, and I ran out and missed both of them, but they saved me a piece of the chocolate, so that was nice. Yeah. So is podcasting better than cake? Because you ran out on Thursday. Well, no, I ran out on Friday because that's when my mom oh. got hurt. Oh, that's right. But yes, podcasting is better than cake. Depends on the cake, I suppose. Yeah, there is that. But anyhow. We're way off course. Now they're trying to figure out why Umbridge is in charge. Mm -hmm. and Arthur has come back to fill them in. Right. The good news is the charges are trumped up. She seems to be operating on a hunch. The bad news is she is in charge of the Wizengamot, and they are trying to round up stragglers. Mm -hmm. So they are trying to make sure that somebody doesn't go back and save Voldemort with a time-turner. Have what I sent you for or not? Yeah, I got it. I had to break into the ministry for it, but I got it. The plan is simple. I propose that we choke the weed before it grows up and ends it all. Do you follow me? Now! <laughs> so they're making an example of these guys. However, you don't make an example of somebody by putting them through a meat grinder first. Sorry. <laughs> well, you no. do if you're Umbridge. Ah, uh, no. Cornelius doesn't know, won't hurt him. Not if you want to use them for public examples, you don't. No, it's true. She is so much in her own mind, this high and mighty person, that she doesn't think of the consequences. No. Because she has decided that it's whatever she thinks and whatever she wants. It's the whole, do you know who I am mentality. Right. Mm-hmm. She is Dolores Umbridge, therefore she must be right. Yeah, yeah, right. Simper, simper. <laughs> Gag. Oh, sorry. No, it's it's. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Huh. Sorry. <laughs> They're a little surprised that she actually has some sort of reason, and it's not just because she doesn't like the Weasleys. Yeah, that's icing on the cake. Oh yeah, big time. Because because of what Fred George did to her in Hogwarts, I'm surprised that they didn't snag Fred too. Because Fred obviously has a criminal record of being mean to Umbridge while they were in Hogwarts. I mean, come on. Yeah, but he and for that matter, why didn't they grab Harry? Harry yeah, Harry wasn't out there. Tent. I'm just saying, you know, everyone has past transgressions against Umbridge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, who's to say that she wouldn't be going after Harry next? Yeah. Right. They're using the excuse of the fact that people have figured out that Charlie and George must have used a time-turner to get Fred back. They have no proof of that, but that's what their excuse is. So they're the two that are being targeted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love Harry. He's like, but it's Fred and George. Surely they'd understand that. I mean, they can't be apart. I understand not letting anybody else use the time turner, but it's Fred and George. <laughs> it's just, you know, it was really funny the way he did it. And 
I understand that they don't want somebody to go back in time and that if anybody did it, you know, if it comes out that one person did it, then everybody's going to want to do it and it is going to destroy the timeline. But it's also pointed out that George was very careful. He made sure he didn't do much damage to the timeline except for grabbing Fred and, and stuff like that. It makes sense. She's done this on trumped up charges, but the idea of making sure no one else goes back and messes with the timeline is a really good idea. It's fine kind of along the same lines as you don't want anybody to shoplift but the first person that you find that does this instead of saying we found this person shoplifted he's going to be in jail for six months mm-hmm. they're going to cut you know, off his hand they're cutting off their arms mm-hmm. instead yeah uh-huh. it's like you know there's such a thing as fitting a punishment to the crime this is not it no oh but george was mean to umbridge nobody can get away with that Oh, well, (laughs) it's your mama away. (laughs) And they bring up the fact that they're friends with Kingsley and can't Shacklebolt do something to stop her, but they can't really because there's too much that's going on right now. And they've let her get away with things. I mean, it's like, I don't know if there was an analogy in this or not, but the idea was that the ministry has let her have some free reign with this type of thing before because it was what Fudge wanted, and so everyone kind of... Well, she did the same thing to the Muggleborns. Right, and it... I don't quite know how to say it, but Mm -hmm. it's a tacit agreement to the way that she's, you know, nobody told her no, so that must mean it's okay to do. And at this point, they can't stop her because they've already let her get away with so much that if they stop her now... I don't think they know exactly what the extent is. Oh, I'm sure they don't. Mm -hmm. But if they're trying to prosecute her and say, well, Umbridge, you have stepped over the line, you've done too many things then she can say, well, these ten people are also implicated because they're in my department or whatever, or they knew some of the things that I was doing. I signed this memo here. And then basically they end up with two people left in the ministry because if they're going to be consistent, they have to sack everybody. Right. It's like doing uh, like I cashier and every day, you know, five-year-olds come in, they ask their parents for 50 million things. They don't need those things. They're looking to see how far they can push. Mm-hmm. And it's just Umbridge has never, it seems, never been told no in her position because Fudge has always been there to protect her. And then once Fudge was gone, they were at war. So no one was really looking to see, you know, what is Umbridge doing? They were looking to see, okay, how can we survive? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if Kingsley tried to crack down and make a bunch of changes right now, they'd say he's trying to be a dictator and kick him out. Right. Actually, went and found the line that Arthur had, and he says, The ministry has always approved and backed the things she's done. So to hang her, Shacklebolt would have to hang the ministry. That's the danger of allowing evil people to do your dirty work. You become guilty, guiltier by association, and by giving them your approval. And in the end, a court of law would have to find Umbridge innocent on the grounds that she was only following ministry orders. Gee, you know, didn't the Nazis have that same thing? We were only following orders? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. All sorts of places through history. That's in there. This is the legacy that Cornelius Fudge has left. Mm -hmm. They have Kingsley on their side, Mm -hmm. but now they have to figure out how to save George and Charlie. Mm -hmm. And they do know the charges are trumped up. They can't prove anything because... Right, and um, and the fact that they used unnecessary force mm -hmm. to apprehend them, and Umbridge claims that she knows nothing of that, but, you know, broken ribs and concussions don't lie. Right. You Mm -hmm. don't get a broken rib by leaning against a wall or by having somebody restrain you with ropes unless they use their foot with it. 
And all of the and busy there's... stuff that they had to do, you know, we're so busy, we have to do all this other, all their paperwork and everything has been mixed up. They can't be processed properly, which means there's nobody looking at George to see if he is still among the living. I mean, it's just awful. Yeah. Bill mm-hmm. asks, what about George's injuries? And Arthur says, well, their in-processing status has been mixed up, but the healers will look at them when at they get point. admitted and they will have prison attire so they won't freeze. You know, George will be fine. But he said it a little too forcefully and Bill knew that his father was worried. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just going back a tiny, tiny bit. I was surprised that Arthur didn't react when Harry told him that she tortured kids. Because to my knowledge, none of the adults know about that. I have a feeling that George and or Fred may have said something to Arthur after they left Hogwarts. Okay, about what that makes sense. Was doing. So I think that's why he wasn't surprised. And for Harry to say, yeah, she was torturing kids, Arthur was probably going, yeah, I already knew about this. This is why my twin boys, my super smart pranksters, left the school because of this woman. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have a very good suspicion that they said something to Arthur about it. He couldn't do anything about it, but at least he knew. And if somebody would have come forward and said, does anybody know anything about what's going on with Dolores Umbridge? I'm sure he would have been the first person in line saying, I do. This is what I've been told by my children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Some of them have the scars to prove it. Yeah. Well, Harry. Yep. Lee, probably. And no, I understand that Harry does not have parents, but the Weasleys are about as close as you can get. Yep. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. like <laughs> the Dursleys sure as hell wouldn't care. No, <laughs> <laughs> so they'd be giving her, you know, do more, more. Although I don't know, because I think Dudley might. That's true. Because Dudley's had an epiphany. <laughs> With Umbridge, whether they'd take her as proof that all those freaks are unnatural and evil, or if they'd go, well, we don't like Harry, so go ahead with whatever she's doing. Yeah. I don't think Umbridge would like the Dursleys very much. No. Oh, I think Umbridge would love the Dursleys. They know how to punish people. Right. No, but Let's lock them muggles. in a room and lock them in a closet. I don't care. I, I if, don't know if that she, she has a problem with the muggles. She has a problem with half-breeds half-breed. and with other and things mud like that. But I don't know that she has a problem with muggles. No, and I can see her looking at the gladiator games in Rome as an inspiration to how you handle people. That's true. As, you know, Hitler is a role model kind of thing. Yeah. Or the SS is a role model because they knew how to weed out the bad and keep the good. And I could see her liking Petunia because of her housekeeping skills. I will have order! Uh-huh. And that I can like that. buy. Yeah. The Malfoys would have a problem with the Dursleys. Probably. Mm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, that's because they're muggles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have a problem with the fact that they locked Harry in a closet, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, they'd like that one. I got a kick out of Arthur who's saying, okay, we're going to stick to the story that Fred was never dead and that he was just lost in the medical area. Just, um, we can't prove it, but they can't prove that he wasn't, so that's cool. And then he looks at him and he says, I know that we've raised you not to lie. But. Yeah. And Ginny's like, we know, Dad. You don't have to say anything else. And they all understood. Yeah. And then and- we get oh God, a letter. <laughs> An owl. By special request of the Minister of Magic, 
signed, yes. The trial date for Mr. Charles Gawain Weasley and Mr. George Fabian Weasley has been affixed for the 19th of June at 9 o'clock in the morning. So this would have been, what, 12 days later? Mm-hmm. All advocates for the defense will please report promptly. Which? Additionally, oh. um, yes. Additionally, please note that the court will grant leniency in the case of Mr. George Fabian Weasley, owing to his regrettable health and grants that should he pass before the hour of 9 o'clock on the date of the 19th, he shall not be required to stand trial. In other words, he won't be set up for trial if he's dead. Right. Signed, with respect, mm-hmm. Dolores Jane Umbridge, Senior Undersecretary to the Ministry of Magic. Don't I'm gonna let kill her. Fred see this letter. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to kill her. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was like, oh, by the way, if you die before your trial, you don't have to stand trial. Oh, gee. I was already calling her bad names, but when this came up... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. <laughs> what were they going to do? Make his ghost stand trial? Uh-huh. Mm. Well, yes. I can see her trying to do that. I can oh, see that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sure they would. And Reanimate the dead flesh so you can put it on trial. Yeah. <laughs> Make an inferior out of him. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't I put it past her. Work. No, I wouldn't put it past her either. And, of course, as soon as Arthur says, don't let Fred read that, Fred pops Fred up at the door up. and says, read what? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and he, of course, makes a beeline for the letter. And, of course, goes absolutely nuts again. Mm-hmm. And there's again a fight, and he basically just crashes into Bill, drops flu powder in, and ends up back at their flat, where he grabs a knife and a blanket and bundles Bill back into the fire and goes to someplace else. In the process, Arthur and Bill kind of pass. Bill kind of thinks he sees him, but it's too late, and now he's on his of own. They have no idea where they're going now because they heard him say 93 Diagon Alley, so they're going to the shop, but then he's gone off in the flu again, and they have no idea where he went. So Bill's the only one there with him. Yeah, like La Dimon, we found out that this is an island on the way to... It's where they have the ferry for Azkaban, basically. Yeah, so... You know what it kind of reminded me of? kind of reminded me of that island in the middle of the... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the Hebrews that Dursley took the family to to get away from the letters. <laughs> That's it! We're going away! Far away! Where they can't find us! Hut on the rock, see. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> and Fred says, give me my wand. And Bill says, no, you're not well, you need to... Give me my wand. And Bill says no. And basically, mm-hmm. he uses the knife to cut off his ear. Yeah, he's brandishing this knife at Bill, and Bill doesn't know what's he going to do. Is he going to attack him? And he doesn't want to give him a wand in case he does something rash. And so, because he doesn't have the wand to slice off his ear properly, he does it with a butter knife. The knife. Yeah. 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 How hard would it be to, like, slice your own ear off with a butter knife? Well, it can't be a butter knife. It's got to be sharper than a butter knife. I, I, was about to, like, I was like, what? I don't think it's a butter knife. It's a kitchen knife. It's yeah. A kit- yeah, which means... It's probably so, like so maybe it's like knife. a cheese knife or something, but you know. No, 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 a, a chef's knife. It doesn't describe it. It just says grabbed a knife. You're in the kitchen, and he's pulling yeah. kitchen drawers out, hither and yon. It's like a butcher's knife or a chef's knife. Probably, that might yeah. be a little large for that too, though. It's kind of unwieldy then. But anyway, he has a knife, and he manages to cut his ear off. Oof. 
And yeah. Bill tries to stop him. He is shocked this entire time, and Fred's like, just mop up the blood. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he's basically almost fainting, because he's bleeding. Let's see. We have a concussion, and now we are in shock because we've mutilated ourselves. Yeah. Hmm. But now he looks like George. He does look like George. And now, once again, you can't tell them apart. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole idea. Mm-hmm. And I like at this point, Bill sort of has his own epiphany. And he's like, okay, I'm going to do whatever it is that I have to do to make this right. And if that means going to Azkaban and helping him break in, then that's what we're going to do. Well, and the reason that he brought Bill with him, Bill's a curse breaker. Mm -hmm. He can figure out how to get in and out of there. There aren't any dementors at the prison, we don't think. So, but there are spells to keep people there. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd have Death Eaters everywhere. Mm -hmm. So they go out, they get on the broom, and they head out over the sea, and they have to fly really low so nobody can see them. Bill's got them disillusioned, but you can still see a shimmer. So they're kind of getting wet, and Fred's still having trouble staying awake because of the concussion and stuff. So now you have hypothermia added to concussion and blood loss. Yeah. Well, and at Burrow, it's like, oh, well, where's Fred? Well, he has a concussion, so he's sleeping in the other room. It's like, do you have people sleep when they have a concussion? No. I didn't know that. Well, he wasn't well, sleeping. So, he kind of passed out. But yeah. Oh, so yeah. Wake up every hour. Sort of, but, maybe it's yeah. just as well because now he's not herring off somewhere. But, of course, he woke up. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, Basically, they get in because Bill can find the different spells, and and he's kind of, he gets into a rhythm. He never lets himself forget what he's doing, but he finds a rhythm to it, and he gets through fairly easy, I think, once he figures out what's going on, and they finally find them, Mm -hmm. and George is in really bad shape. Not doing well, yeah. Yeah, they can't do anything for them there. The healers there recommended that he go to St. Mungo's, and Umbridge won't let him. No. So in other words, she's just going to say, no, you can't go. Just die there, and then we won't put you on trial. Because mm-hmm. mm. they're dangerous criminals. Yeah, they're dangerous. All right. And poor Charlie's um, just freezing because he's well, given all of his extra stuff to George. Yeah, to try to keep him mm-hmm. warm. So Bill at least manages to cast a warming charm on them, which helps. And then Charlie notices that Fred has cut his ear off. Right. This is his plan, is he's going to take George's place so Bill can get him out and get him to a hospital. Sounds kind of like somebody else we know that did this. Yeah. Party Crouch. Oh, yeah. I was going to say there were similarities to what Bill goes through here that Sue was talking about and what Charlie went through in the last story. He just decides he's going to go along and help, in Bill's case, Fred, as much as he possibly can, because obviously he needs to do this. Right. Mm -hmm. And they have to beat up Fred in order to look like George. Yeah, so now he has to kick him in the ribs. Right. He gets Charlie to do it. Thinks so himself, out they go. make Charlie mad at me. <laughs> yeah. So out they go. There's a little bit of a problem because... Our friends this is where the Dementors are. Dementors are Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Yay! Yeah. Because Umbridge has a nice little arrangement with them. Mm-hmm. <sighs> mutter, 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 what bad things. Umbridge is Umbridge, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but we don't know that Umbridge has a little relationship with them yet. 
but she was stuck on a mutter mutter bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is her written all over it, even before it revealed oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So Bill's flying in, and then he almost misses the island in the first place because he's flying in fog. But he gets there, and then here are the Dementors, and what on earth is he going to do? Well, Trondas are good. <laughs> <laughs> well, but first, you know, because the Dementors being there, he thinks that his brother's George dead. Dead, yeah. Yeah, and he doesn't know when. Did he die in the prison? Did he die on the trip over here? They've sucked everything out of him, and he believes that he's dead. And then he finally feels a pulse. And it's mm-hmm. just enough to give him enough hope that he can deal with the Dementors that are coming in. Yeah, and he pictures... Fleur and Ginny riding her broom, and Percy and Fred and Charlie and all the family, basically. And then the last picture he has is George. And he casts his patroness, and the Dementors scatter. Scatter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the, his wolf makes happy circles around the island after the Dementors are gone, just because. Yeah. <laughs> George says, wow, good one, Bill. He gets him home as quick as he can. Yep. So now he's back in his room, and they've got a healer in there. Bill has to tell Mom and Dad that, by the way, here's Fred's ear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Great moment. Yeah. Well, and Molly is mad at him. Molly is mad at Bill. Don't just bring him back. Can you blame her? She blamed him for not bringing him back. He couldn't do anything. He did what he had to do. It's the same unreasonable thing that she had with Charlie in the first fic. Yeah. Uh, I just, I don't like this portrayal of Molly. Molly here. To me, she's a little bit too much finger pointing and not enough ranting and raving defending her children. Mm-hmm. I mean, the comment that Umbridge said about her and about how, you know, if the boys had been raised by parents who could understand what they were doing, you know, I'm sorry, but my Molly would have been up in her face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she would have been hauled off to ask a man for attacking the woman a mile later. <laughs> you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Which wouldn't have helped, really, but, you know. Oh, well, but it would have you know. made us all feel good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. So, but. yeah, this Molly is a little bit too, for me, and I don't know, maybe it's just her reaction to shock or whatever, but she's too, this is your fault, this is your fault, this is your fault. Mm-hmm. So, the way I'm looking at it, she's having trouble seeing the big picture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All she wants is all of them there. She doesn't want Fred to be herring off trying to rescue George. Which yeah, but the problem is they can't have all of them there because they've got to fix the problems. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of, you know, realistic for Molly to react like that because, I mean, they just got over a war. She almost lost one of her kids. Like, Percy's been gone since... You know, the beginning of Harry's fifth year, so like almost three years now. I mean, like, yeah, but he's back. Yeah, yeah. but like, you know, her emotions have been through the ringer, and like, I think now she just wants everyone under one roof so she can keep an eye on everybody and make sure that they're all safe. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but Molly's under a lot of stress right now. Yeah, I know. It just, it just doesn't. She seems to be out of character for me. Yeah, I agree mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, she's a little out of character for me too. It's just I like playing devil's advocate. Yeah. She's not the solid rock that she has been. Mm-hmm. She's the mm-hmm. gravel right now. So anyway, point. fortunately, Arthur's friends with a healer, so she has come to check Fred <clears throat> over. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Fred. <laughs> and so now they're on Fred watch. 
Yeah. I like, you know, Arthur says, I owe you. And she shakes her head and says, you don't owe me anything. Anyone who would leave a young man in that kind of neglect. This was abuse, pure and simple. The arresting officers broke his ribs, causing them to damage his internal organs. Another few hours and she trails off. And she says, you know, I will keep this report back, but I will have it for when this goes to trial because I can mm -hmm. prove that this was wrong. Yeah, I guess she knows that it is George, but yeah, after that, George has to pretend to be Fred. Mm -hmm. Right. So, moving right along. Because this is from Bill, Bill's point of view, we get a little bit of a scene with Fleur. Bill is doing the I'm watching over my brother routine, mm -hmm. and he's having a hard time dealing with this because this is... I mean, this is his brother. He this thinks he brother. should have been able to protect them. Right. Because he right. was in the tent and everything, and he didn't stop it in the first place. And then all this stuff has happened, and he hasn't quite managed to keep it as under control as he would have liked. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I just, I, I love Floor in the scene. They like, well, yeah, like she's a great sounding like board. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. She's a great sounding board in here. And he's telling her, you know, I don't know what to do. And she... She's basically, you know, you can't protect them from the monsters under the bed. Mm -hmm. You can't. Mm -hmm. You want to. You need to. But you can't. Yeah. So You've taken care of them as much as you can, so now let me take care of you for a bit. Right. And she gets him tea and sandwiches. And feeds him. Yes. Right. Which he tries to turn down, but doesn't work. <laughs> she tells him, you know, you shouldn't be so angry with your mom because she's so worried. And he says, I know I'm not really, but you didn't see Fred's face. You didn't see, you don't understand. And that's when they just kind of, they just have this great talk. Yeah. Yeah. Fleur is often not written well or not written sympathetically, mm -hmm. but this Fleur is a very good partner for Bill. Yeah. They also, well, I mean, even Fleur in Canada, like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, who wants to go first? Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, even in canon, like, the relationship is very one-dimensional. And it's just kind of, it's a prop to assist with everything else going on. And it's really quite special to see something from Bill's perspective where it's a very multi-dimensional, deep relationship. Mm-hmm. Floor and Cannon was written to sound very superficial. And we find out that she's not superficial when she confronts Molly with, you don't think that I'm going to marry him because of how he looks. Right. I mean, we got depth of floor there, you know, to a realization of, no, this is not a person. She's had to deal with being part Vila all of her life. And to have somebody turn around and say, we think you're as shallow as you look. Yeah, I can understand why she'd be upset. And she's not. She was the Bobaton champion. That doesn't mean that, you know, oh, she's good at spells. Oh, she's good looking. Oh, she's got good grades. She's got to have some character, too. Right. This is another thing that comes out of seeing everything from Harry's perspective. Because we get that he's a little bit intimidated by her. To start with, he's annoyed by her because she calls him a little boy. Ginny's annoyed by her, and he's friends with Ginny more than he is with her. And we don't get to see Bill and Fleur having any relationship. We just get to see her looking out of place at the burrow. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's nice to have this from his point of view because you get to see that relationship. Right. So I get, I'm going to be right back. i got to feed the cat before she murders me. Okay. It's understandable. <laughs> we have to have animals in the podcast a few times. It seems to be a thing with us. About an hour ago, Alex was banging on my door and I was ignoring him because I didn't want to get up. And apparently he looked very pathetic because mom snuck up and opened my door and let him in. He's been hanging out on my bed ever since. Okay. 
Moving right along. The two of them fall asleep, and they wake up to the sounds of the healer, who says that George is a touch better, although she strictly forbids him from doing anything more than laying still. He can't even get up to use the bathroom. And he goes downstairs, where Molly's banging dishes around, and you know you can tell she's still miffed with the way that she's banging things. And he mm-hmm. says, can I help you? And she's like, no. And he says, I'm sorry. And she just keeps her back to him and keeps breaking eggs into the bowl. And he says, I do my best, Mom, to protect them. And she says, I know you do. And he said, but sometimes I fail. And she turns around and she says that you shouldn't have to protect them. To. Yeah. I shouldn't expect mm-hmm. you to. You're not their parent. And he says, yeah. I don't mind. I just wish I was better at it. And she just breaks down. Yeah. I do like the little phrase there. It's uh, she's generally being a bit more forceful with the egg pan than was necessary. Yeah, <laughs> all I can think of is how to make crushed garlic. Whack! <laughs> <laughs> that was the thing with if you're cooking something and you really want to get your frustration out, you use a rolling pin or a pan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I see. On the garlic. Mm-hmm. When you said it, it sounded like you said crushed scarlet. And I was wondering why you wanted to hurt scarlet. Ah, I love scarlet. No. I wouldn't want to hurt her. Yes. It took me yes. a minute. Crushed garlic. Garlic. And then we bounce back to Umbridge. And mm. I love this. As things turned out, Umbridge was more calculating than clever, not to mention being of the opinion that she was above the law. Because of this, she didn't cover her tracks. You got lucky, Potter, but I know you guilty too. And I'm gonna get all of you. Dumbledore gun. Yes, she gets to be the headmaster now. Me. Say? No, me, your mama. I'm me. And from now on, we're gonna be doing things around here my way. We're gonna be doing things the Umbridge way. It's like, ha, ha, ha. This is what happens yeah. when you think too much um, of yourself. Apparently, uh, let's see, uh, no evidence, charges to be frivolous. Let's see, She instructed them to use unnecessary force, which resulted in the suspension of several officers and for getting suspended from the Wizengamot. Pending mm-hmm. further investigation. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that she was the one who set the Dementors at the island. Right. I like... Uh, Bill was quite eager to hear the results of that. Hopefully, when the Ministry was done looking into the old toad's recent conduct, she'd find herself demoted to janitorial detail. Yes. <laughs> so George is sort of recovering, but he does George had to have be to be held down, down. tied to the bed. <laughs> yeah, the two of them are quite a lot alike that way. Mm-hmm. Charlie and Fred finally make it home. And boy, that gets really confusing, that whole line about Fred pretending to be be George, who's pretending to do this, who's, yeah, it was really fun. This is one of the lines that brings up some of the things that Lassie has talked about, is the difference between the twins, is that Fred's the impulsive one, but George is more tenacious. And Charlie, a nurse, it's at Muggles, because he got a code. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Charlie meets the pretty nurse. Yep. Of course. Hey, she did get to see him in a blanket. <laughs> or at least a hospital gown. It's almost a towel. Yeah. Fred says, and by met a good nurse, Fred explained, sitting now comfortably next to George in the bed, he means met a complete fox of a nurse who Fred saw first, but disregarded his brother's dibs and hit on her shamelessly. Right. Yes. 
It was pathetic, honestly. She's coming by later to check on him. There you right. go. And they told the story that Bill and Fred were going... George. Well, George was supposed to be, Fred. to be Fred. Yeah, but right. Bill and Fred were going out to the island, and they got as far as where they were, and they were attacked by Dementors. And somehow Fred lost his ear in a freak flewing smack- accident. <laughs> he smacked it on the hearth or something, and his ear fell off. Right. <laughs> and and Bill was able to produce the ear, so they were able to reattach it. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> of course, it was actually his twin's ear, which is kind of interesting. And poor Charlie. Bronchitis. You know, I'm sorry, but when you have bronchitis, you don't usually sneeze. <laughs> But yeah, anyway. but he might sneeze just because of everything else, cold too. He too. cannot get warm. He's so cold right. still. So we're back with what's going on with Umbridge. They find out during the investigation that one very interesting and useful fact was uncovered. Mm-hmm. Umbridge was behind the control of the Dementors and the promise that she would continue to give them people on whom to pray. You know, I read that she used to be the warden of Azkaban and that the Dementors that work there are only afraid of one thing, her. You can either kiss the Dementors or you can kiss Umbridge. Yep. Yeah. At this point, I was like, where's the nearest rope? <laughs> I mean, I was, lynch mob! Let's oh, my God. Her. String her up! Yeah, for me, that's too quick. Yeah. So they decide that basically she violated her probation. Well, hmm. what we find out is that Cornelius had brokered a deal with the centers to get her back, back right. in the seventh year. And, and then, then not followed through. Yeah, he hadn't followed through. Yeah, so basically she revoked her probation with the centaurs. Okay. I do like the line just a little bit back. that uh, To say that Bill was beside himself was an understatement. To say that Fred was ecstatic was to say that TNT was only slightly clouded. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was supposed to get punished according to ministry law for her unprovoked attack on the centaurs, mm-hmm. which, of course, didn't happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And because it didn't happen, now she is going to have justice from the centaurs. Well, because yeah, it just... didn't happen, the centaurs are ready to go to war. Right. And Shacklebone. not go to war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And which is he why. Finally... Yeah. Kelly said, I love Shacklebolt last week. Yes, mm-hmm. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, Kingsley. <Yeah>. Woohoo! <laughs> what he ends up doing to get them to back off is just turns her over completely to their justice, and they can do whatever they like with her. Yay! Which, Yay! Which, where Umbridge is concerned, yeah, that's... <laughs> That's definitely, because she gets their justice, and then she gets the indignity of being prosecuted by half-reads, how dare they, etc., etc., which is all the yeah, numbers and, deserve, so, and you know. And of course, that line comes through again, do you know who I am? And they're like, yeah, nothing. <laughs> you have mm-hmm. no leave to speak. I yeah. thought this was the best ending to Umbridge I have ever seen. You have no business here, Centaur. This is a ministry matter. I warn you, under the law, as creatures of near-human intelligence, I will have order. Let me go! 
I just got the biggest kick out of this. Yeah, and, you got it. Yeah. You know, I love the mm-hmm. crying. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't even get killed. She just now has to serve the centaurs, basically. Yeah. Yep. No, 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 this is impossible. I am invincible. <laughs> oh, oh, what marvelous strength! Rapturous <laughs> day. Finally, I may have found someone powerful enough to survive coitus with the centaurs. She's basically going to be their slave until they decide to release her, or until she dies. Hmm. Wonder how long they'll keep her. I wonder how long she'll survive. <laughs> one of the one of the things that I forgot to mention was the centaurs live in the Forbidden Forest. Right. That's where the Dementors were. That's no, because she Hiding. sent them in there. Because she sent them in there because they couldn't be an ass man anymore. Mm-hmm. So that was another strike. Because mm-hmm. she endangered their foals during yeah. holding season. Their yeah. whole society. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then, of course, we have to tease Charlie. Oh, Charlie didn't get to say goodbye to his girlfriend. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he's like, what? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't remember this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Already pining for the loss of love. Yes, the centaurs will allow her conjugal visits, and he's like, ah! <laughs> No, no! You can kiss Aubrey. No, don't, don't kiss her! Oh my god, I'm not worth it! Yeah. Mm, but Fleur and Giselle sort of give him a little bit of support there. So we end up with the fact that the twins have managed to perfect the flaming hair. Yep. Yay! Flaming gumball. And uh, give it to Bill. Mm-hmm. So he has the long, flaming hair going. And I he imagine was the it going amazing, straight up. The amazing, flaming Bill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I love it. We've perfected the recipe. We tested it and everything on Ron. On, on Ron. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill's like, you know, no, uh uh-uh. uh. And he says, I don't trust you. And George says, we would prove it, but we only have one piece on our persons, and as I doubt you want to ingest pre-sucked on candy, you'll yeah. just have to trust us. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. And they get him to take it out of the tie. Yeah, his hair out so of the tie. So it's floating around his head more. And so that reminds me of the, what, it's like the Tesla coil that you go put your hand on and your hair sticks in 50 mm-hmm. different directions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, static electricity. It's really fun if you had long hair. I had it. I had this huge, you know, hair sticking out all over the place. Oh, I bet. <laughs> yeah. And he takes it and he strolls along with his long hair fluttering brilliantly about him, simply sucking serenely on the candy all the way to Hogsmeade and then to the burrow. The brilliance of his newly atomic self lighting their path back to home. And the twins, of course, are chanting, Flaming Bill, Flaming Bill. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh. And I'm going to take us off topic here because we just had thunder. Did you? Like rumble, 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 rumble. Significant weather advisory. Oh, dear. Did I say one o'clock? <laughs> I meant 11 o'clock. <laughs> it's like 10 Did they miles. Lie to you? Oh, yeah. There's a big red and yellow blotch right on my doorstep. Fun. I love thunderstorms. How did it get here so fast? Good God. Wind. There's yeah, well, it's windy. Oh, this is a line that developed ahead of the other group. Uh, so if I disappear suddenly. We'll know why. Where 
way, of course. Well, let's see if we can get through Fred and, because it's fairly short. Yep. I do like their manner in this last little bit of this one, though. The bits where, um, while they're teasing Charlie, and George is strolling along with his mahogany cane that he's got now, and <laughs> Bill has his flaming hair, and Fleur was supporting Charlie in that, you know, it wasn't just Umbridge who was interested in him, and he's like, yeah, I don't know why you took up with Bill there, you know. I always knew you had better taste. And he's like, well, it was either marry the English boy or volunteer in the soup kitchen, and I don't like soup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yes, we're moving on to... It's the second chapter in this story. It's sort of a sequel, I guess. It's not directly connected to this first chapter, which in itself could have been four or five chapters of a normal story. But, you know. Yeah, and it's called Fred and, and that's kind of an important part of this. Yes, this one is from Fred's point of view. Yay, Fred! <laughs> Lassie's favorite. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and they're supposedly asleep, and there's a soft click, and he knows that Charlie's coming in to check on him. So he pretends to be asleep, and Charlie's not quite as stealthy as he's been because he's still getting over the bronchitis. Yeah, well, Weezy would give you away. <laughs> You're either Darth Vader or Charlie, one of the two. <laughs> yeah, the smell of cherry cough drops, I love that. So this is probably a week or two after the last one. Mm-hmm. I can kind of imagine, like, all the Weasleys come and check on them during the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, you know, this is Charlie's turn to make sure that they're both still there, that everything is okay. I think this is before what happens to Umbridge. Yeah, this is sort of between yeah. the... It's between getting them, them being getting released. them back. And yeah, and what yeah. happens to Umbridge, because... So I guess that's why it's attached to this one. George is still very ill. He's right. Sleeping, but it's not the sleep of someone who's just asleep. This is the sleep of someone who's very ill. Yeah, he's mm. resting. And not instead of resting. tossing and turning like he usually does, he's eerily still. So much so that it makes Fred anxious. And Fred just, instead of sleeping, he just kind of sits there and watches his brother. And he sort of contemplates what could have happened. Mm-hmm. He is taking care of George. He doesn't let anybody else do anything. They can visit if they have to but they're not allowed to do anything. If anyone tries, he flies in their face, basically. Yeah, he even pleased himself to make Hermione cry on one occasion. And although he knows he'll probably feel bad about it later, for now, oh well. Mm-hmm. Fred is feeling cantankerous, <laughs> which is a fun word. It is a fun word. But now it's nighttime, and so everybody's sort of calmed down. And usually Fred manages to be on his own, but... Charlie keeps dropping in just to check. Mm-hmm. He's the other short Weasley. Yeah, and he says even by moonlight he can make out the awful colors of the bruises. It's turned to livid purple with indigo around the edges and green runs through the entire mess. He'd had three yeah. ribs broken, one in multiple places, and the healer said she'd had a time keeping the bone fragments from perforating internal organs. And now yeah. they just have to keep him from getting an infection while the bones mend. And you know this has to be a really bad break because the healers, we know from canon that, you know, there's Skelligro and that Pomfrey can heal bones fairly quickly, and mm-hmm. so this must be really bad if they are not able to mend him very quickly. Yeah, because Fred himself had a cracked rib from where Charlie kicked him, mm-hmm. but it was just a crack, and there were no fragments or crushing or internal bleeding or anything, so they just fixed it right up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But George is a lot worse, because his entire side got crushed, basically. 
and Fred has a conversation with him. Even though George is asleep and really can't hear anything, this is mostly for Fred's benefit. He's talking for himself. And he mm-hmm. he's calling his brother a one-eared git mm-hmm. and goes on about how awful it would be to be without him. Yeah. And he almost didn't let the healers regrow his own ear just so they could look the same again. But he's a little too vain for that, so. <laughs> but not as bad as Bill. No. Apparently Bill's the vain one, at least according to Fred. Right. Yeah, they're not identical anymore. The shield of their twinness is gone. They can't swap places and they can't do They the can't things. mess with their mom. <laughs> yeah. Fred, you next. He's not Fred, I am. Honestly, woman, you call yourself our mother. Oh, I'm sorry, George. I'm only joking. I am Fred. And Fred is a lot more disturbed by George's missing ear than George himself is. Right. Because he's single now. He's just Fred. He's no longer Fred and. Right. Because it used to always be Fred and George. Mm -hmm. And now he can be just Fred because they are not identical. Right. And this parks back to Fox ears a little bit because George's declared reason for doing all this, talking to Fred once he's got him back, is he didn't fancy being and George for the rest of his life, so he had to figure out how to get the Fred part back. Mm-hmm. Fred's kind of, he's babbling a little bit at this point. Mm-hmm. It's a stream of consciousness thing. And yeah. He talks about various things and then shifts to, oh, I bit Bill. You knew that, right? Yeah, it was a pretty good bite. That was fun. Kind of crazy, but, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just keeps on going. Yeah. And while you were napping today, I was looking through some of Bill's books. At, yes, I do read, George. I know it's a shock. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, you know, bits and pieces like that. Yeah, there's a legend about a mummy that gets brought back to life. And he's wondering, you know, if he can put all the bits and pieces back together and bring a mummy back to life, maybe they can give you your ear back. He wants to be Osiris? Yeah, <laughs> he just wants to be the same as George again, and it's yeah. this missing ear is really bugging him. Yeah, and he's like, it shouldn't be George anyway. Properly speaking, it should be and George because anything else just sounds weird. <laughs> you, you can't have just Fred or just George; it, it doesn't work. Right. Insistent upon that. Yeah, and he kind of thinks back to the day that they grabbed him during the battle and the look on his brother's face because it was like you'd never be whole again, like you died. And basically, that's kind of what happened because Fred died, George died. He might have still been walking around, but the George that we knew and loved was no longer there. And that's why he went back for Fred. Mm -hmm. It's that whole not realizing that you're already dead, you're still walking around kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Fred has people. plans now that he's got <laughs> He says, and I hope your future wife likes me because I plan on living next door and making pancakes every morning. <laughs> <laughs> surprise pancakes. But I'll try to keep the surprise fairly tame for your wife's sake. <laughs> oh, dear. What do you know? Oh, no! this is going to be fun. We can stay up late, swapping manly stories, and in the morning, I'm making waffles. Oh! <laughs> mm-hmm. It's a very philosophical thing, but he's going on about how he just, he's not going to be himself without George. Like, it's not that he doesn't want to lose George, which is true, or that he would prefer not to be without George. It's that he won't be himself without George. Mm-hmm. If George is gone, he'll be gone too. 
Right. And if George dies, he thinks he probably will himself. I'm going to follow you wherever you go, and I'm bringing my pancakes with me, he says. Yep. And I like, I get it that you're hacked off at me about the ear thing. But it's not like I had a week to plan or anything. The old hag had thrown you into prison and sent that bloody note saying if you died, you didn't have to go to your own trial. And I just, well, I lost it. I lost it, and I wasn't going to have anyone stopping me from getting to you. And I knew switching was the only way. Right. It's not like they were breaking him out Mm -hmm. to break him out. They were breaking him out to save his life. Right. Yeah. And then they went through the process mm-hmm. of getting them out legally. Right. So it wasn't a, I'm breaking you out because you shouldn't be there. It's, I'm breaking you out because you're not getting the care and you were, you were going to die if mm-hmm. we didn't do this. Mm-hmm. And he goes on to say, well, he talks about how much he would do for George. I mean, obviously he'd cut off his ear for him and take a kick from Charlie, which is apparently a big thing. Mm-hmm. And he wants him to stop yelling at him because... George is annoyed at him because he keeps glancing at his empty ear and looking strange, because this is bugging him, and George would rather he just pretend it's not there. Don't worry about it so much. But he wants George to know he should stop arguing with him about it, because he's going to burst a kidney, and apparently he scared the ghoul. And, uh, well, and I'm not sure it deserved that, because it's pretty well behaved for a ghoul, honestly. <laughs> I think my favorite part of this is toward the end, where he says, Do you suppose... If we, you know, worked out and stuff, we'd never get built up like Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be buff. (laughs) Yeah. He's planning on starting a family Quidditch team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Angelina's starting a team and they're going to go play. Yeah. And he's he's admitted that he just, he can't sleep without George there. Mm -hmm. And he finally does manage to actually say, I love you, though it takes him an entire paragraph to sort of circuitously get there. Yeah. So, finally, he goes back to his bed, and he manages to fall asleep. Mm-hmm. And that's the end. Yeah. And I think, actually, looking at the sequel to this one, that George heard some of this. He wasn't actually asleep the entire time. Or some other time like this, he heard something about that. Well, he's been resting. He's not been... Well, this is the middle of the night. He's supposedly asleep, so this is why Fred is being able to say all this stuff. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't yeah. have been able to say it otherwise. What's the other one called? That's called summer. That Summer. Okay. It's called That Summer, and it's by the same author, and... It's supposedly meant to be a series of one-shots. At the moment, there's only one. Mm-hmm. She writes and, mostly Transformer stuff, so... And it's their first day going back to the shop after, because everything in a lot of Diagon Alley's been destroyed. So Sorry. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> that was very cool. It's okay. <laughs> On the bottom of my foot. <laughs> and the next thing I know, I'm getting the tongue up, up my arch, and it was like, <laughs> Hi, dog. What do you want? I want to on you, Mommy. And that's the foxers and the worthy yeah. thing. Thank you, Scarlet, for picking this out, because it was really good. I'm glad we got a chance to do it. It pretty much made the three years that I mourned Fred's death, I can now, you know, I'm over it now, more or less. I, I, I mean, have I com- be, be over it until the movie comes out, and then you'll be mad again. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're not going to go there yet. This is Cat's new canon. Yeah, this is my new canon. I don't like the movies anyway, but I will likely be, you know, in the corner of the movie theater sobbing my eyes out and somebody going, what's wrong with her? We have about 150 days as of this recording, 145 or something like that, until the first Deathly Hallows. And then just over a year from now is when we record this for part two. Wow. Yeah. Hopefully you aren't hearing this after they've both come out because that would just be sad. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to try and not do that. Oh, no, that would be bad. (laughs) That would be bad. Yep. Somebody said, oh, yeah, the first one comes out next year. And it's like, no, the first one comes out at the end of this year. How do you know? Uh, That's what Warner Brothers said. (laughs) Because I know these things. Yes, I'm psychic or psychotic. One of the two, I don't know. Um, We won't comment on that. (laughs) Right. How dare you threaten Madame Koslova? My parents ask me about these things. Oh, when's the next Harry Potter? And I'll say, like, oh, it's November 20th. They're like, yeah, you're the Harry Potter expert of the family. Mm -hmm. Most of my family doesn't know that I like Harry Potter. Well, because I am very conscious of not inflicting my obsessions upon other people. Oh, Ah, yeah. (laughs) Because I used to inflict my obsessions upon other people and drove them away. (laughs) So I have stopped doing Mm. that. Yes. Mm -hmm. You just have to find people with the same obsessions. (laughs) Exactly. Like you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Yay for us. (laughs) But yes, this was a very fun pair of stories to read. They definitely had their tense moments (laughs) while we were reading them. Fred is not dead, damn it, group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I am yeah. wholeheartedly part of that group. And Umbridge is a bitch. Very well written. Umbridge yes, is a bitch. Is a bitch. <laughs> but I think mm-hmm. we knew that already. It's true, though. This one was more so than the canon one, if that's possible. It was. Well, again, you were right, Scott. You stated that canon is from Harry's point of view. Mm-hmm. It's from Harry's point of view, and what we see of Umbridge here is from older eyes. Yeah, it's true. And less of a viewpoint of a 15, 16, 17-year-old than of people who are parents and who are, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, you know, that group. Mm-hmm. So, And I mean, Bill probably remembers the first war to some extent. He was about eight or nine when Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think he would have... I, I think the Weasleys would have really sheltered their kids from everything that was going on. Mm-hmm. And Bill's the oldest, and he wasn't at Hogwarts yet. So I think they've not so much sheltered them, but really tried to mm-hmm. make sure that they weren't affected by what was going on. Well, I mean, I, it's like... The kids, I, I mean, kids are good at picking I, things we, up, though. We can get yeah, they are. I'll this later. I mean, like, Molly's brothers died in 78. I just think that some of it would eat through... And- and like Bill would remember some things. Oh, I'm sure he does. It's like the people who were growing up during World War II. You know, right. they remember the bomb drills and they remember the fact that they didn't have blue skies for two years after the war because of the fires and the ash and everything that was in the air. That was a remarkable thing. I read somewhere there was a story that there was a gal who lived in Germany right at the end of World War Two. She was a child. She's five years old. And all of the pictures that she drew 
none of the skies were blue because they weren't. They were white because of the reflection of stuff in the air. Mm -hmm. And the skies didn't turn blue over Germany for years after World War II ended. It's kind of, look at what happened with the volcano. Right. People stop flying. They don't have the contrails. They have the ash in the air. Once the ash was out of the air and there were no contrails, they were the bluest skies that people in Northern Europe have seen in decades. Right. Because there were no contrails. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my so point was, my I can point see was that where, where, you're, where you're remembering things. I do. I see where you're remembering things, but you're going to remember them a little differently. You're not going to remember them like the news has it. You're going to remember no. it because you couldn't go to school that day and you were upset because you missed Bobby's party. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's how they're going to remember it. Mm-hmm. They were very powerful stories to read. It's because there's wish fulfillment in there, I think, but it, it does pull you along quite a bit. I know, Kat, you were saying that in some ways they weren't as well written as they could have been. I I have trouble with angsty fics that are like four or five chapters long. Because, I mean, don't get me wrong, like I love these fics, but a lot of times when there are four or five chapter fics, it's very, very hard to not do the angst half-assed and then like do the rest of it fluffy because you want to end it nicely and like all happy. But, you know, if a character wants to add drama in there, they're like, oh, I'm going to add some angst in there. And it just kind of comes off as underdeveloped. And so, I mean, I would have liked to see it a little longer just because I feel like the story could be more drawn out. It might be a product of I've read too many fan fictions at this point and I've just gotten so picky because I've read, you know, After the End and A Year Like None Other and these majestically written fics that are... 90 chapters long or, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it was good. I just, you know, I'm picky about my angst. Yeah. Though I have to say it wouldn't have been good for my sleep schedule if Worthy King was any longer. <laughs> because when I started it, I was expecting it, oh, it's a one shot, you know, I'll start it at nine in the evening or something, I'll be fine. I mean, you for, and it you took forgot me to look like at the fact that it was 3,232,000 words long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You missed that, did you? <laughs> mm-hmm. You always go for the word count. Yeah, good yeah, point. Well. But yes, these were very good stories. I enjoyed the premises and most of the stuff that happened and how they worked everything out. There were shocking bits. There were bits where, well, we grumbled at Umbridge a lot. And <laughs> various other yeah, but she deserved it. Things that happened. Yes, she, she did deserve it. Umbridge is Umbridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they wrap up well, I think. And I also recommend reading the summer one. There's only one chapter in it now. It's labeled as chapter one, but it does wrap up well enough in itself. It's the story of when Fred and George go back to the shop. But I think, unless anybody else has points to bring up, that that might be the end for this week's podcast. Yeah, I think we've reached our time limit here. <laughs> Two and a half hours? Nah. Yep. I really like these two. Like I said before, I think this is one of the better ends to Umbridge that I've ever seen. And I thought it was well-deserved. I did spend to this again while I was mowing the field this weekend. And I just kept mumbling bad things and hoping the neighbors couldn't hear me mumbling bad things as I listened to what she was doing. So 
I mm-hmm. liked the whole premise of being able to go back in time and bring Fred out and then what would happen with that. So mm-hmm. I thought they were uh, really good. They gave you things to think about and I like the end where Fred is, you know, contemplating what it would be like to be only Fred instead of Fred Andrews. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, they were very clever at figuring out how to make the time travel work without messing things up irreparably, which could easily be done. And they also have a point about not having people do that all over the place or the entire thing could implode. But they managed to make it work out. And I do like the ending with the centaurs, because I've seen the fact that she has trouble with centaurs used against her before, but I've never seen the centaurs themselves get to do what they will with her, which it was nice to see. Yeah, it was good to see her getting put in her place. Mm-hmm. Because she's a bitch. She is a bitch. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> do we need sound clips from something about that? Yeah, we might need something. I don't know. Because you know... Deep down, you deserve to be punished. you enjoyed Fox Ears and The Worthy King. We did. We will see you next week with a Founders fic that the name escapes me of at the moment, but... Highly recommended by P.S. Yes. So. Moon by PS. and... It's either Moon and Stars or... Moon and Stone? It's Moon and something. It's Moon and Stone. Moon and Stone. Moon and Stone. Moon and Stone. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, I hey. Read it. We just got a message from Trisha. Sorry, mm. I fell asleep and I got the blue screen of death. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. The podcast has struck again. I'm sending this by phone. I am so sorry. Stop licking what? me. Oh yeah, we need to say goodnight. Good night. Yep. Good night, everybody. See you next week. She says optimistically. So hold on to the wonder that those books brought to Keep each other safe. Keep faith. Good night.